Um, I'm going to have you read a small passage in the book of John today as we begin. John chapter 11, if you want to track that down, it's page 760 and the Bible's handed to you before we get to our passage of Thessalonians. I entitled today's message, it's part five of our first Thessalonians series, and I entitled the message, The Return of the King. It's original. I just thought of it. It's never been in a movie or anything. Anyway, so, so yeah, I have nothing, nothing original apparently. Okay. But it works for what I'm trying to talk about. We're going to talk about living like Jesus is coming back. So, uh, I want to begin with a personal story, which turns into an announcement. Uh, there is a couple that attends here, um, Don and Miriam Horner. Um, I'm tied into their family, not just because about the fact that when they come walking through the lobby, I always go up and I give her a hug. Um, and she's super sweet and she's smiley and Don, uh, he always works the greeting doors. So we always see Don there and he's got the, the silver hair. It's got kind of the the rim going on there and super nice guy, really funny, witty, um, older couple. And they, uh, they've always been very loving to me, but my history with them goes back. Um, their son, Lee and his wife, Janie, um, I only ever attended two events, one class and one event in all of youth in church. I never went to a youth group. And I only went once to a junior high group, and they were the ones that taught it. Um, I went to one event. It was at their house. Um, Their son went to school with me. All their boys went to school with me, but one was in my class. So our history goes back a long way, um, all the way back to um, third grade for me. So it it goes quite a ways back. Anyway, um, when Miriam and Don came here um, a couple years ago, They got plugged in, but Miriam's been battling cancer for a long, long time. And so she would come in here and her hands would shake. And every time she talked to me, she goes, Lance, I'm I'm so sorry about the shaking of my hands. It's my medication. And and I don't care about that. I said, Miriam, what do I care? So what? It's not a big deal. And so she would talk about how good God is and how he changed her life. And Anyway, so Brian Rissey and Mark, who just did the announcements, and I, um, we, we received notification that Miriam was in hospice. And so we went over to her house on Sunday, and this last Sunday, and when we went into the house, there's a lot of times that you can walk into a house where uh, someone's in a hospital bed and they're resting, and you just feel heavy. Um, this was not that we walked in her. Some of her girls were there who are now grown adults and have grandkids themselves. And we walked into the house. Don was there and they were eating a snack and it was just lighthearted, fun, joyful. He said, you know what, Lance, Miriam really hasn't had a lot of pain. We got her first morphine going this morning. And so she's sleeping a little bit extra today, but she's really doing well. Uh, he said, you know, we don't know how much longer we have her, but, and he started to cry and he said, but the love of God is so good. Um, so talk about walking into an environment of joy and love. Well, on Tuesday, she passed away. 
we got a chance to, you know, lay our hands on her and pray with her. And it, it, she woke up and looked at us and, and basically said, I said, hey, I didn't mean to disturb you, Miriam. You know, I didn't mean to, you know, wake you up. She's like, oh, you're not keeping me up. And back to sleep. And uh, so we had a special time with her. And I, it was interesting because I, I noticed that when I started to pray, I started to cry. And what was so odd about that is I had no sorrow. And I don't know if I was just kind of wasted, exhausted from the weekend. I was tired and uh, I was not wasted. (laughs) Cry many snakes. All right. All right, you guys, let's try to bring it back in. All right, bring it back in. I was tired from the weekend. And I don't know if I was just emotional and my eyes just started watering. I had no sorrow. There was no weeping for Miriam. There was no weeping for the family. Yeah, my heart was moved because they had been married so long that that's going to require an adjustment. And in that, my heart was heavy for the girls losing their mom. Well, when she passed away um, and we heard about it, the whole family, as I was telling the story last night, I looked over halfway through the story and there was Dawn and the girls. They were here. And... They're going to have, um, uh, they had a small graveside service for the family, but they would like to have a memorial um, at Trinity Life Center on October 22nd at 6 p.m. If that is a family that you've been in contact with or connected with, uh, Miriam had a real weird way of loving on everybody and making them all her kids. So Don said, hey, I got to tell you guys this, this made me laugh. He said, we had three of our bus boys from Red Robin at the Galleria, and they all came over and they're crying over her and loving on her and giving her kisses and, and, and talking about the impact she had on their lives. And he goes, we eat there a lot. <laughs> and, uh, and it was just so cute that you had all the bus boys from the restaurants coming out to hang out with her. And so uh, if she had an impact in your life, uh, maybe that's a service that you might want to attend. Um, I tell you, I tell you this not only to announce that, but to start the concept that we need to talk about today. What happens when you die? Um, let's instead of going beating around the bush and talking about all different kinds of stuff, let's just talk about it straightforward. What happens when you die? Now, you all know that I wrestle with anxiety and anxiety kind of grabs onto anything. I was pretty tore up last night with anxiety and And it always grabs stuff about death and things like that. So, no, I'm not super comfortable talking about it, but I'm very sure of what happens when you die. Um, I don't know if I necessarily always like the process of switching from here to there, but I know it's there. I'm very solid about what's there. And I think that the passage that we're about to study is a lot of talk about what happens when you die. So let me just ask you, what happens when you die? Not when people in general die. I'm talking about you. What happens when you pass from this life to the next? Is, it, is there a difference? Is there a, a factor to trusting in Jesus Christ and what happens next? And an idea of just trying to run your life on your own, not having a Savior, saying, I don't know about this Jesus thing. I don't really want any interest in that. I'm just kind of here for family members. This isn't a big deal to me. What happens to you when you die? I mean, obviously something happens. Either your life just ceases to exist or there is some sort of afterlife. Now, for some of us, we kind of have this agnostic. I don't really know. Um, Others of us were atheistic. I know nothing happens. 
Um, and then there's people that believe that there is an afterlife. I, I absolutely 100% uh, believe there's an afterlife. I grew up in a world where there was always an afterlife. I always knew that that was going to be the case. I've, I've always looked at the Bible as, as the guide for life to where it was God's word communicating to us. And the Bible's super clear on what happens after you die. So let's, let's talk about it for a second. Uh, there's two particular verses I need you to lock into your head. Um, you'll just jot these down. You don't have to look at them. It'll take too long for you to grab them. But it's Second Corinthians 5, 6. I want you to jot that down in your mind. Paul said, as long as we are at home in the body, meaning as long as we're here, we are away from the Lord. I would prefer to be away from the body and be at home with the Lord. So what do we know? Let's lock in one thing. If you are a child of God, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have surrendered your life and said, I can't solve my afterlife problem. I need someone to come rescue me. God, would you reach down and grab me and rescue me not only from my sins, but from myself. If you have gone through that process of repenting of what you have become and what you have done and trust in Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior. If you are a Christian today, this verse applies to you. It says that if you are away from this body, you are present with the Lord. You must lock that in. Your spirit will immediately be in the presence of God. You cannot allow anything to mess with you, any bogus concepts of their soul sleep and my spirit has to drift in limbo and what about ghosts and all this garbage. When you die, the next thing you know is your spirit is with the Lord. You must know that and lock that in your heart. Uh, to add to that is Philippians 1.23. You may want to jot that down. Following through, Paul said, now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether in my body, whether by life or by death. He's just saying, listen, no matter what I do, God's going to get glory through it. And then he says, for to me, to live is Christ, to die is what? Gain. So he said, all right, so the dying part of it is a step up. It's better than what we have now for me to live is Christ, which is awesome because we're bringing glory to God. However, if I move on, it's better. He called it gain. We've gone somewhere better to live as Christ to die as gain. He said, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me, meaning I'll continue to be able to make Jesus proud of me, earn rewards in heaven, have him say, well done, good and faithful servant. I love being alive. He said, However, what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Okay, so Paul's attitude is when we transition from this life to the next, it's going to be instantaneous. It's going to be in the presence of God. And it's better by far. It's not just gain. It's extraordinarily better. So the perspectives we need to have as Christians is to allow Jesus to be our savior and let anxiety go by the wayside because you will be stepping from this being with God to seeing him as he is. It is actually an extreme bump up. All right. So we know that the Bible, however, says that there are only two possible destinations because all of us as human beings 
are built with an eternal spirit. You don't get a chance to just shut it down. It never shuts down. It's a God thing. So it will last from here to eternity. The only two possible destinations that we have are with God or without God. I'm not here to create a fear factor in you. I'm not here to cause all types of emotional upheaval so that you'll respond to something. I'm not even asking you for anything. What I'm trying to express to you is either you are with God or you're not with God. Because all good and perfect gifts come from God, all the good stuff's with Him. Which means there's no good stuff without Him, right? And then we go, well, are you scared to talk about hell? No, not at all. I'm just trying not to mess with your head right now. Hell is where God is not. Are we all clear on that? You only have two possible. Lake of fire, heaven. All right. I'm not interested in someone manipulating me, so I'm not going to manipulate you. Where are you going when you die? As a child of God, you are headed for glory. And you must lock that in your spirit. One last story as we begin. Uh, If you could maybe find John chapter 11. That'd be great. It's page 760. Um, uh, Jesus had a whole bunch of friends. Three particular friends are mentioned out as people that he loves specifically. Uh, They lived in a city named Bethany and their names were Mary, Martha and Lazarus. They were all brothers and sisters. Uh, They were all real close. Why? I don't know if they were married. I don't know what was going on. But anyway, they all knew each other. Um, I mean, they all lived in the same area. And they sent word to Jesus. Jesus got some mail and it said, Lord, the one that you love is dying. And that was Lazarus. The girls let him know. Well, it was intriguing because he always kind of responded to their needs. He had very close relationship with them. Yet it says he remained two days and did nothing. But the Bible says, and the Lord loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So let me make one point as we start. People die that Jesus loves desperately. Okay, are we all clear on that? Stop seeing your circumstances and allowing that to dictate your theology. Oh, I prayed, they didn't stay alive, God doesn't love me. I prayed... God didn't save them from death. God doesn't love them. You need to change your perspective and look at it through God's eyes. Why would he not want them with him? The idea that he would ever even heal any of us and leave us here is weird. Why would he leave you here when he so desperately wants you with him? So the idea that you pray and go, you didn't hear my prayers. Now they've passed away. He's going, I don't get it. What's your problem? Well, I wanted them. Well, too bad. I wanted them and I'm God, so I win. Right? The idea is that no, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing from God's perspective. Why allow them to stay in tension and in pain and in frustration when they can be free? That doesn't sound very nice. So the whole idea that he would heal any of us and take care of any of us and let us continue to live here is bizarre. However, he does so because in our little world, it's a big deal and he wants to love on us. And so sometimes he'll answer our prayers. Yes. Right. All right. 
Now, it says the one you love is sick. He waits two days. Here's the other thing. If you pray for something and you go, this must be, this is super important to me, but God's not doing anything. That's exactly what happened here. He didn't do anything. He didn't even move for two days. He knows his buddy is dying and he does nothing about it. There's no word back. There's no, hey, I'm on my way. It's just nothing. All right. Why? Does that mean he doesn't care? No, it means he has another plan, right? So when you have silence to your prayers, when you constantly ask for good things and you look in the Bible and it says, ask whatever you want and I'll give it to you, right? We all read these passages. It is always with the caveat, unless I have a better plan, which I'm not going to mess up for you, right? Well, Sure enough, he said, I'm going to wait here. Then he tells his disciples, hey, you guys, we got to go back over towards Jerusalem. And they said, no, that's a stupid idea. They don't like you there. And he said, well, I'm going to go hang out because Lazarus is asleep. And they, in a very practical fashion, say, if he sleeps, he'll get better. And it says, so Jesus had to go, he's dead. And they're like, oh, that was a metaphor. Oh, gotcha. Okay, now I'm tracking with you. All right, so he's dead now. Now, uh, what are we going to do? <laughs> he goes, I'm going to go wake him up. And they're like, all right. I don't know quite what that means, but let's go do that. So they're thinking it's another thing about Jerusalem and blah, blah, blah. They go rolling into town. Martha, the practical sister, she goes out to meet him. Walks up to him and her first question is what? If you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. Isn't that our instant reaction to every unanswered prayer? Right? If you paid attention, if you loved me, I wouldn't be going through this mess. He said, hey, I got a real quick question for you. I, I understand what you're saying. And then he says this. Verse 23, John chapter 11, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Meaning, yeah, I get how the story ends, but I'm sad now. And Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Meaning I'm in charge of all that. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. That was kind of trippy. And he said, and whoever lives and believes in me actually will never die. Do you believe this? Because he said, the fact that you're asking me these questions means you don't get it. Why are you asking me that? What do you mean if I would have been here, he wouldn't have died? Do you understand I'm taking care of all the important stuff? That even though you pass from this life to the next, that really doesn't matter. The factor is, where are you going to be for eternity? Oh, I got that locked down. I got Lazarus in the palm of my hand. What are we worried about? No, of course, he's fine. She said, yes, Lord. She told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of God who was to come into the world. And it's almost as if he goes, good. That's what I wanted to know. Hey, where's your sister, Mary? Well, he sends for Mary. Mary runs out and guess what she says when she sees him. If you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. He's like, I know your sister told me that. Okay. I get it. Everybody. I know if I was here, it wouldn't have. I know. Stop telling me that I don't care about it. Of course I care about it. He said, where'd you lay him? So she shows him. And then the shortest verse in the Bible says, Jesus wept. Why'd he cry? We have no idea. 
I mean, there's all scholars going, well, it's this, it's this. I don't know. Maybe it was just the sheer, I'm here with all these people that are sad. Maybe it was, they don't get it. I don't know what it was, but he cried. And then he said, all right, uh, everybody clear on what I'm about to do. Okay. Move the rock back. Then comes practical Martha again. Uh, real quick, Lord, I totally appreciate you're here. He's been dead four days. It's going to stink like you're not going to believe. Really, she said the odor is going to be extraordinarily bad. That goes to show that she's like, is this necessary? Really? What are we going to do is just cause a big commotion? Is that what you're doing? I don't, I don't understand. He's like, whatever. Okay, roll the rock back, please. And then it says this. Verse 40, Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they can believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in what? A loud voice. Jesus shouted. Lazarus, get out here. It says... The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped in strips of linen, and a cloth was around his face. Okay, this is what we have. This, this is Lazarus <laughs> hopping, trying to come in. He's like, can't see. And he's like, oh, hitting rocks on the way in, right? And, they, and so Jesus goes, could you take off the clothes and let him go? And they're like, oh, great, great point, great point, right? And they take off the stuff. All right, that story in many ways will occur for everyone in this room. Why? Because Jesus loves you like he loves Lazarus. He does care about you. He has said precious are the deaths of his saints. He is paying attention. No, he's not going to answer your every prayer because you don't get the plan. He's not going to go with your plan. He's going to go with his plan. And he has you in the palm of his hand. You are 100% safe and secure. And one day he will shout, Rick, get out here. Because we find that in the end, Jesus will come with a shout and the dead in Christ will rise. This is what we're about to study. Would you turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. It's page 836 in your Bibles. For the living believer, we do have all these questions about what happens when you die and how oh, is it going to be okay? And for the living believer, we have a million questions too. They all come out with why. Why do you let suffering happen? Why is this happening to me? Why does it look like the world wins? Why does it seem like I always lose? Why are you taking so long? The fill in the blank in front of you answers all those questions. The fill in the blank on your sheet in front of you says Jesus will come back and make it all right. There's your simple answer. Jesus will come back and make it all right. When Jesus returns, you're going to get it. Turn around and go, oh, that was a better plan. I would have messed it up. Oh, good thing you didn't do that. Jesus knows what he's doing. And he will come back and make it all right. Let's just read the first two verses and then we'll pray and dive into this passage 
Brothers, Paul says, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, meaning those who die, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. You mean we're going to see him again? Oh, that's exactly what I mean. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today that we could sit in your word and be encouraged all the morning long. That, Lord, that you have us together with you. You have us protected in you. You have a future for us. You have more than enough abundant love for us. That you have taken care of all the important things. That the things that we worry about don't ultimately matter. Father, help us to see it the way you see it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brothers, he said, we don't want you to be stupid. Brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant. Brothers, we don't want you to be clueless. I don't know whatever word you want to put in there. We want you to be in the know. We don't want you to be ignorant about those Christians who die. Because really, we all do have these questions. Oh, great, now I've lost someone I love. Where are they at? And you've got to remember, these are brand new believers. They've never been taught this stuff. How are they supposed to know what happens? For all they know, the last time Paul was there, Paul starts going, hey, Jesus is coming back. And they're going, wow, like today? And he's like, well, soon. So they're like, well, that must be next week. Meanwhile, it's been six months. They're waiting around. And then what? Someone dies. And they're like, great. So Jesus is going to come back. They missed it. Well, what's going to happen for them? What, they don't get to see the big return of Jesus? And man, if I die, that's really going to be a drag because I want to see this whole return of Christ thing. Paul's about to correct him and go, hold up. What are you talking about? No, 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 no. Apparently I wasn't super clear on this particular part. We do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men, meaning those who do not know Jesus, the rest of the world, the unbelievers who have no hope. He said, no, we don't act. Oh, I I can't. He said, you don't look at that and say, I'm never going to see them again. Hold on. Are you a Christian? Are they a Christian? Of course, you're going to see them again. No, this is not an eternal separation thing. He said, you will be reunited together and you'll be able to be in a wonderful place to start talking about things again. He said, we don't grieve like that. Now, the rest of the world, sure, I understand why they grieve. Because in their worldview, there's nothing after death. And you'll never see them again. That's, that's rough. And I understand, yes, I would grieve as well. But that's not true. Well, what about the atheist who says there is no God, none of this matters? How, what hope do you possibly have? I can't imagine trying to navigate this life with no hope. No, no, no. We are filled with hope. We'll talk about that in a moment. Brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. For we believe, and anytime you see the word believe in the New Testament, it means we trust and live as if it's so. It does not mean we understand facts. For we believe that Jesus died. Interesting that he doesn't say Jesus slept. 
on this whole passage, he's going to keep saying that people sleep, which means they died. He doesn't say that about Jesus. Why? Because Jesus died so we would never die. Jesus died so we could sleep. Does that make sense? Jesus paid the ultimate penalty on the cross, handled the whole issue of real death, so that all Christians will never ultimately cease. We just transition. We believe that Jesus died, meaning He was a real guy. He was the Son of God. He lived in this world approximately 33 years. In that, had a three-year ministry. Died on the cross for the sins of mankind. Extended out forgiveness. Extended out an offer to trade His perfect life for our garbage lives. He died the death of a criminal. He took all the hits and became sin for us. He rose again on the third day, it says. And so we believe that if Jesus was resurrected, that God will bring with Jesus on his return those who have fallen asleep in him. Meaning that when Jesus shows back up, he's got a crew with him. Who is the crew? It's all those that have died prior. So no, they don't lose out by dying early. They actually get in on the action. If you die before Jesus returns, you have a pretty cool seat in the house, right? Because then all of a sudden Jesus is talking with them going, come on kids, here we go, here we go, here we go, I'm returning. Everybody in. Wait, fix your robe, that looks funky. Alright, now, everybody ready to go? Let's do this. Right? Go, go, go! And they, and they just start hitting it. And they're racing back with him. Why? Because when we die, our spirits are in the presence of Jesus. And when he comes back, we will be riding with him. Now, I don't think we grasp how much hope we have. I don't think we're, I don't think we're soaking in hope. I think that when I talk to a lot of people and I hear Christians talk about being hopeless, I don't get that. Now, granted, I don't wrestle with depression. I wrestle with anxiety, right? So I'm all hyped up. You guys are down, I'm up, right? So maybe I'm the wrong guy to talk about this, but here's what I need you to understand. You are never hopeless as a Christian. You are full of hope. As a matter of fact, the very nature of being a Christian means the best is yet to come. All of this is pale in comparison to what you were built for. What do you mean you're hopeless? I understand that you would say, my life stinks. I understand you can say, everything I see right now until the day that I die feels miserable. Okay, I can agree with you on some of these things. However, what you cannot say is I am hopeless. What you cannot say is that it's going to get worse. It is not going to get worse. It's going to get better. And it's going to get extraordinarily better. That in this life it may be difficult, but this life is nothing in comparison to where we're going. Allow the reality that the best is still coming to permeate your heart and permeate your head. This passage says that we need to keep that hope like a helmet. No, you're not allowed to let any thoughts dwell in your head. You're not allowed Satan to mess with you and go, really, that's all you got? You know what? You have a debilitating disease. How hard do you think that's going to go? 
It's going to go really bad for you. Just beat on you over and over. That's when you put on the hat and you go, you know what? Stop messing with my mind. Because quite frankly, my life may deteriorate, but I know what's next. And my next is secure. My next is best. And Jesus has not abandoned me. He will not abandon me. Amen? Amen. All right, let's move on. It says this. According to the Lord's own word, Paul said, and we don't know how he got that word because it's not what's in the Gospels. So uh, maybe he had extra revelation where God, when he was talking to him on the road to Damascus, shared a little bit more, maybe in prayer time. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we, meaning Christians, who are still alive, who are left still on earth till the coming of the Lord when he returns, will certainly not go ahead of or precede those who have fallen asleep. He said, I know that you immediately go, oh, no, they died. He said, don't say that. What do you mean? Oh, no, they died. That's great for them. I'm a little worried about you, but that's great for them because there's no way that in the return of Christ that we're going to see him before they will. They're already with him. We will not go first. They go first. So they're doing fantastic. For the Lord himself, verse 16, just like he promised. You remember when he said, hey, disciples, I'll tell you the truth. If it wasn't like this, I would tell you. But let me be really clear with you. I'm going to go away and I'm going to what? I'm going to prepare a place for you. Just like in a marriage covenant, right? I go away. I build our house. We're going to get married. I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you so you can be where I am. That's the facts. He promised that. And just like he promised, look how it's going to go. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. You're like, wait a second. Why is he coming from heaven? I thought he was in my heart. Hmm. He's a slippery one. Right? Okay. It depends on what we're talking about. Yes, he's filled your life. And yes, he is in you. And yes, he is operating through you. But if we're talking about spatially, whatever that means, it says that after Jesus Christ made sacrifice for our sins, he went to the right hand of the Father and he sits up there and intercedes for us. He is up there constantly battling for us and telling the accuser to be quiet because he paid for that. Right? We have Jesus who is at the power side of God, the right hand of the Father. And Jesus is operating his whole plan, and one day he will come flying down. It says, he will come down out of heaven with what? A shout. Where did you just hear that? Why is he shouting? Same reason he shouted at Lazarus. Why? He's shouting to the dead in Christ. Their bodies, they're with him in spirit, but he's rocking the whole universe and he's shouting a command that says it's time. He will come hurling down with a shout, a loud command. And not only that, it says, and with the voice of an archangel. Now, the only archangel ever mentioned in scripture is Michael. That's mentioned in Jude 9. Now, Michael is specifically mentioned as the warrior angel or the major angel and protector of Israel. So is it going to be Michael? I don't know. 
As a matter of fact, in Daniel, it says that Michael is one of the chief princes. So there might be multiple archangels. However, a voice of an archangel who then heralds and says, the king is coming, right? He gives this huge shout that will shake the very fabric of the universe. Christ shouts, the archangel shouts, and then they hit the trumpet blast, right? That's the next phrase. And with the trumpet call of God, that hits What is that about? Well, Israel knows very well that before they received the law, when they were going to meet with the presence of God, the trumpet blast was heard. It means come and assemble, for God is here. Now all of creation is put on notification that here comes the king. And when all that hits and all that rocks the world, it says, and the dead in Christ will rise first. What do you mean the dead in Christ? Their bodies will rise first to be reunited with their spirits. And so they could then be with Christ forever. You're like, I don't get it. Why do we need our bodies? That's lame. Okay. Christianity teaches a bodily resurrection. Why? Because when God built our bodies, he built our bodies to operate in this world and they are good. Matched our spirits with them. They were little housings for our spirits, but we were intertwined. Why do we know that we teach a bodily resurrection? Because when Jesus died and rose again, he what? He took his. Right. There's no body in the tomb. It wasn't like, oh, there's his body. His spirit's gone. No, he took his body with him. When he shows back up to the disciples in a locked room. He says, hey, guys, and they're like, whoa, it's Jesus. Are you going to be able to recognize each other? Yeah, but kind of. What do I mean kind of? Well, there's times when Jesus was walking with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they had no idea who he was, and, and there's a, other neat things that the new bodies can do. And if you want to read about what the bodies are going to kind of be like, you've got to read 1 Corinthians 15. He talks about it. And in there, he gives something A brilliant analogy, Paul says. He says, your new body is not going to be like this body any more than a seed creates a beautiful flower. Seeds are kind of ugly, right? Seeds are kind of like, really, that's going to make that? Well, when we look at our bodies, they're kind of broken down. They're kind of weak. They're kind of limited. When we get our new bodies that are like Christ, where we can notice who we are, There's still this beautiful thing that comes out of that and our new bodies are glorified and they are at a max of what we were designed to be. Jesus allowed them to recognize him and he had the marks in his hands for a purpose of talking with them. It's not like all your marks are still going to remain. In that place, there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more tension. No more stress and frustration. There will be a chance to breathe easy, maybe for the first time in your life. He said, the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them. That word caught up has caused all the stir. What is caught up? Well, in Latin, it's rapturo. What does that sound like? The rapture. This is the only specific passage that mentions a rapture. However, if you look and you go, well, I don't know, maybe there's such a thing as a rapture. And for those of you that were not in the Revelation series, 
You can go back and listen to it. It's really long, um, but it's, it's, it's fascinating, I hope. All right, it's 36 parts, so go ahead and load up your iPod. Um, you'll realize that when I go through and I talk about end times events, I do not tell you what to believe. What I do is I present um, biblical options and allow you to navigate through it. So here are the two options. Um, is it possible that when Jesus comes back in the end, he's going to return somewhat twice? And what I mean by that is that he will come descend the clouds. This is a rapture view and he will come down halfway and then he will call up all the believers to him. We will be caught up in the air. That's what this is talking about. Caught up in the air and be able to be with Christ forever. Well, that is not the day of the Lord or the return of Christ. That is the rapture. It's like the super vacuum. Right to where he sucks up all the believers and that's where, oh my gosh, where'd all the believers go? Right. They're all it's it's mass disappearance. It's all the cars with the bumper stickers in case of a rapture. You can have it. Remember those. Right. OK. And then the, all of a sudden all these people disappear and the world's going, I don't know what's happening. And right. OK. And all the left behind movies, that kind of stuff. All right. That's this view. And then Christ will have to return at the day of the Lord, which is when he brings down wrath upon mankind, sets up his kingdom physically here. That is known as the day of the Lord. So are they two events or one? That's the big debate. Does he come down halfway back up and back down? Does he come down all in one shot? And you go, but it can't be because one time it says that it's kind of mysterious and sudden. The other time we know exactly that there are events that go to it, right? That's why it's complicated. Does it really matter? No. Because for believers, your king is coming, your father is coming to take you home. And he will rescue you and his wrath is not for you. He has no anger like against his enemies for you. He may use discipline, but that's only in a loving manner. He will never pour out his wrath upon you. So regardless of how this all goes down in the end, what you must know is Jesus will clean up everything, protect you and take you home to be with him forever. That's what you must know. It says we will meet in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now, brothers. Did he start a new topic here? That's the big debate. If you believe in the rapture view, he just started a new topic. If you don't and you think there's one return of Christ, then you're going to go, oh, he's just describing the event now. Because watch what he says. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we don't need to write to you. Meaning, how's this all going to go down? When's it going to happen? Times and dates. We don't need to write to you for you know very well, meaning you've been trained that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Please don't attach the rapture to the thief in the night concept, because it's actually talking about the day of the Lord, not the rapture. Okay, we always do this. And then suddenly, like a thief in the night, everyone's raptured. Whoa, hold on. No. And not if there's a rapture. 
That's not the case. He's talking about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is mentioned 19 times in the Old Testament, four times in the New Testament. It is a day of cosmic upheaval. It is a day where God forces his kingdom here on earth. It's a day when Jesus comes to judge the sins of mankind. Very much like what? Like the flood. As a matter of fact, the two are linked together. The wickedness has reached a max. God is going to shut it down and rain down fire. And he will tear nations apart and set up his kingdom. Ah, that's the day of the Lord. The Jews knew the day of the Lord. Are we talking about the same event? Now, about the times and dates, we don't need to write you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people, unbelievers, are saying peace and safety, hey, everything's going great, destruction will come upon them suddenly. It's all going to fall apart. As labor pains on a pregnant woman, it's going to hit, and it's going to hit hard. And they will not escape. It's too quick to change. But you brothers, you Christians are not in darkness. You're not clueless to what God's doing so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Meaning, no, for Christians, there is no thief. Oh, my gosh. There is a you know full well what's going on. What are we talking about? No, you're not caught off guard. You get it. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. The way the Hebrews would talk about you have the character of something, you would say sons of. So you'd say, you're sons of peace, meaning you're very peaceful. God is light. In him there is no darkness. If we're like God, we are sons of light. means we're in full exposure. We have been cleansed, we are clean, and we remain open to one another and open to God. When God comes down in all of his light... More light is only glorious to those who are in the light. But if you've been hiding in darkness, it's very unsettling to have the lights flipped on. Does that make sense? You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like the others who are asleep, not paying attention, but let us be alert, watchful and focused and self-controlled or sober for those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night, meaning a lot of people do things at night because it's embarrassing in the daytime. and They don't want exposure. A lot of times you don't want to fall asleep in a park because you're drooling and it's awkward and right. There's a lot of things that you want to do where there's a cloak of darkness that you're supposed to have it darkened. If you're going to go get hammered and you're going to do all these different things and you're going to do uh, things that you necessarily don't want everyone to witness, you do them under the cover of darkness. He said, that's kind of what darkness is about. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, Roman breastplate from the neck to the waist, shielding your organs. Put on faith and love as a breastplate. Now in Ephesians, Paul says we have a shield of faith. So now we've got a breastplate of faith and a shield of faith, a lot of faith. And the hope of salvation as a helmet. That's the hat. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. It's not for us. But to receive salvation, being saved through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are paying attention or not, awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. There's a lot of comments 
on that last passage about being awake or asleep. Most of the commentaries look at it and they said that's a different structure of words than the prior one. What it seems to be saying is God says, hey, whether you're paying attention or not, I'm taking you home. If you're my kids, you're my kids. It's not like you have to go, wait, I think he's there. Oh, wait, no, he's over here. No, you're following him around. He's going, relax. Whether you even know where I'm coming at, I'll get you. Relax. I have you safe in my heart. All I have is encouragement for you today. All I have is a wonderful message that whether we are in this life and rescued by Jesus or whether we pass from this life and are rescued by Jesus, as a child of God, you're always okay. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. And Lord, some of us are so afraid of so many things. And yet, Lord, every time we get back in your word, you remind us that you are absolutely in control, that there is nothing haphazard, that it's orchestrated, and that you love us deeply. Father, allow us to know how safe we are. In Jesus' name, amen.